we're, if you'll turn your Bibles to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, because we're given here an amazing scene about really the intention of God toward his people. Exodus chapter 24 and 25 is what we're going to look at. And what we're going to notice here in this picture is here is God and what he wants to do in regards to these people in being with them. As some of the scenes that are in the book of Exodus are fairly amazing as we have God coming to his people. God has come to them at Mount Sinai. He has declared his laws. And the reason God gives laws is because laws reflect who the lawgiver is. You think about if you're a parent and the various rules and laws that you give to your children, that reflects the character of who you are. And in the same way with God, that God does not just give laws without cause or reason, but the laws that he gives reflects who he is. And what you've seen then in the book of Exodus is God comes and he gives the Ten Commandments, but there is more that God wants to do. And the picture that we're going to see of God is one of a great desire for his people. In Exodus 24, in verse 12, we read, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his, with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. And Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Just get a scene of the beginning point of where we're at in the story. Is here we have the scene before us is that God has come down upon Mount Sinai. And it is the glory of the Lord that comes down upon it as a cloud. And and God tells Moses to come up the mountain as God's glory has come down. And Moses then is allowed to go up. And I love the picture that's given. It says, from the base of the mountain, the people of Israel are looking up at it. And it appears to be as if a consuming fire is going on on top of the mountain. But God tells Moses... Come on up the mountain as the glory of God now has has come down. And it says there that Moses goes up that mountain and enters into that cloud for 40 days and 40 nights. And the image that God is starting with here is that God is come down and the glory of the Lord has now come down. And Moses is singularly qualified to be able to go up. Notice it's not, hey, all of Israel, come on up the mountain. You know, it's great. Here's the glory of the Lord. Comes down on Mount Sinai. Everybody come on up. No, everybody stay down there. And there's one person who's qualified. Here's Moses. And God says to Moses, I want you to come on up onto the mountain. And then as was read for us, notice in chapter 25, it says there, the Lord says this to Moses. Speak to the people of Israel, for they shall take for me a contribution from every man whose 
heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. It is the contribution that you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastplate. Here's this picture of, I'm now going to have a contribution. Moses, here's what I want you to tell the people to do. I want you to gather these various items, these precious stones, and I want these various animal skins and these various yarns and twine and linens. I want you to gather all those things up. But notice what God says in verse 2. I want this to be done from the heart. I want you to go down and tell the people to make a contribution, but I want it to be from those whose hearts prompt them to do so. Everybody who wants to give to the Lord, that's who I want to have given this contribution. Which is, I think, interesting because that's always been the heart of God. That's always been what God has wanted. God has never been like, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you out of your begrudging spirit of hatred to, you know, dig into your wallet and go, well, I guess we have to contribute something to God because he said so. And I want you to listen to how God describes it. just says, I want you to gather these things up and I want you to do that of your own free will. I want you to do that of your own desire. And the New Testament confirms the same thing, a passage that many of us know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Here's God's teaching over and over again. I want your contribution, your giving, your actions, your efforts, your service to be from the heart. God has never wanted a people who just do things because they have to. He's never asked for that. He's never wanted that. And the first thing that he tells Moses is Moses now comes up into the cloud. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell the people... I want you to tell them to give from their heart. But I want to notice something. Why? Why does God want this right here? Why would this be the first thing that you're going to tell Moses as he comes up the mountain? Notice it in verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Here's the reason why God gives this. God says, Moses, here's what I want to do. I want to live in the midst of the people. I want to be with you. And the issue is, here we are at Sinai, and God in this great glory and this cloud has come down. But they're not going to live at Sinai forever, right? They're going to go on into the promised land. But God says, I want to be with you. I want to go with you. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to gather these things because I want you to build a sanctuary so that I can be in your midst. So that I can be right there among you and live with you and be with you every step of the way. I want you to think about that idea for a minute. Because God doesn't have to do that, right? Why doesn't God just say, I'm a spirit, I'm omnipresent, I'm everywhere, and everywhere you go, I am, and thus you will know I'm God. So I don't need a building, we don't need to build a sanctuary, we don't need a tabernacle, I'm God. 
So wherever you go, if you're here in Sinai, if you're in the desert, if you're in the promised land, you know I'm there because I'm God and God does not dwell in a literal building or anything that he could be held by the hand that man could build, right? So why do this? Why not just say, I'm with you? Why build the sanctuary? And I submit to you the big deal of really what the rest of the book of Exodus is all about is that so the people will see that God is with them. God could just say, I'm with you. But I want you to see something. I want you to take up a contribution so that you will have all of these various goods and resources. And what you're going to do with those things is build a sanctuary so that I can be with you. I want to be in your midst. I want to dwell with you. And I want you to see that I am with you. This is an amazing concept that is a huge thread in the scriptures. Is that God again and again desires to be with his people. And we cannot allow that concept to not stun us on a daily basis. Because we are used to pagan gods and things that you might have learned in high school and college about the way pagan gods worked. And the way all other gods work is that God is a faraway God. And he probably doesn't really care about you. He's happy to barbecue you if you don't offer your sacrifices and do whatever you think you need to do. And somehow what the worshiper is always trying to do is get closer to God. And this God is so different from all gods of history, all false gods, all pagan gods, all fake gods. Because what this God does over and over again is says, I'm going to come to you. You don't have to try to come up to me somehow. I'm going to come to you. I want to live with you. I want to dwell with you. Because this God could just say, I'm everywhere, I'm all powerful, I'm always with you. But no, I want you to see that I'm with you. And that every step of the way that the people of Israel would take as they would leave Mount Sinai is that they would have this structure that was visible before their eyes that every day showed God is in the middle of us. That's where you put the tabernacle, the middle of the camp. God is with us. God is in our midst. And we have a relationship with God. Now, understanding Israel's history for a moment here is very important to how this moves forward to why this is relevant for us. When the tabernacle is completed, you are going to read at the end of the book of Exodus, the glory of the Lord, which is just described here as on the mountain of Sinai. Now filling the tabernacle. And now God that came down on the mountain now is considered in the tabernacle and God is with them as they go to the promised land. And even though we know there's a 40 year detour because of their sins in the wilderness, God is still with them in the wilderness. And then they come into the promised land and we get into the days of King David. And you remember King David, he looks at the situation and says... Here I am in a palace as king. 
And God is in this tabernacle. And you just read what it's made out of. Linens, animal skins, some precious stones. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's not something you'd look at and go, ooh, that's an amazing place where God dwells. It's a tent. And David says, this is insufficient. We need to make something that's more permanent, that shows the glory of God. And under Solomon, then the directions are given to build God a temple in Jerusalem. And we read when that temple is completed in the days of Solomon, that the glory of the Lord that previously was there on Mount Sinai and then was in the tabernacle now fills the temple. The glory of the Lord is there. And now God is in the midst of the people. Here He is dwelling with them. But something terrible happens along that timeline. It was that the people no longer care that God is with Him. People don't care that God is in their midst. They begin to live their lives however they want to live. They begin to follow their own desires. They become very sinful. You come to the book of Ezekiel and there is this prophecy where we see the glory of the Lord leaving the temple. And the whole message of that prophecy is God's not with these people anymore. God's not with you. The glory of the Lord raises up and it moves out of the temple and it moves out of the city and it goes out to the mountains. And here is a picture of the severing of the relationship that sin has caused. The peoples we've talked about in our Bible class this morning are carried off into Babylonian captivity. And we know 70 years later they come back and they rebuild a temple, but there is something staggering about when that temple is completed. Zerubbabel is building the temple. The temple is done. We come to 516 B.C. and everybody builds the temple. And some are excited and some are sad because it's not as glorious as Solomon's temple. But there is something that is tremendously lacking when that temple is completed. Because when that temple is done, you never read the line that says, And the glory of the Lord that was there at Sinai. Or the glory of the Lord that was in that tabernacle when they were in the wilderness. Or the glory of the Lord that was in the temple when Solomon completed it. Filled the temple of Zerubbabel. It doesn't happen. And what is happening for us and what is happening for the New Testament as it begins. Is that there is this tension that exists. And the tension is this. God wants to live with His people. All the way back here in the book of Exodus. We could go even further back. What's God doing in in the garden with Adam and Eve? Living with His people. This is what God wants. God wants to be with His people. And so God wants to be with His people, but what's the problem? Us. The people keep not doing what God says to do. And the problem isn't just simply, oh, well, God gives a bunch of rules, and so, you know, here we break His rules. The reason here in the book of Exodus that God is giving His laws is so that they can be in relationship with Him because God is holy. And God cannot dwell with darkness. And He cannot be in relationship with sin and sinfulness. 
And this is what the Old Testament is picturing again and again and again. Is God says, I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you. But there is an obstacle. And the obstacle is you. You keep sinning. And I keep telling you, here's how to be holy and be in relationship with me and live with me. And all that you read about through all the Old Testament, how'd they do with all that? They break His laws. They turn their back on God. They don't care. And I wonder what the people thought. When they completed Zerubbabel's temple in 516, 515 B.C. And there's no glory. God doesn't come down. God's not with His people. And there is this great emptiness that we have a building, but it's a shell. Because God's not there. In fact, if you remember, that's exactly what Jesus is running around telling them. Your house is left to you desolate. God's not there. God's not in the building. There's no relationship This tension is so interesting because when you come into the New Testament, listen to what the Gospel of John opens with as he speaks of the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Listen to this language. The Word became flesh, John 1.14, and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, this is where our English inhibits us. Because this word for dwelt is a word that refers to a tent or a tabernacle. And the problem is a tabernacle is not a verb. It's a noun. So you have to kind of make up a word right here in English. Because what it says is the word became flesh and tabernacled, became a tent. And we have seen His glory. Now the glory returns. The glory that was at Sinai, that Moses has gone up into the cloud, where God says, here's what I want to do. I want to live with my people. Build me a tabernacle. They build a tabernacle. Boom, the glory of the Lord fills the tabernacle. God with His people. And then Solomon builds a temple. And boom, the glory of the Lord fills it. And God says, I'm living with my people. But after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586, we don't see that anymore. And all of a sudden then we come into the New Testament and there is this picture. The arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the glory of God in a tabernacle. And the apostles say, and we saw the glory. We have seen His glory The glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That tension of God wants to be with His people, but how is that going to work? Now has this amazing scene because this tabernacle that you read in the Exodus is now pictured in Jesus walking around the streets of Jerusalem and in Palestine. God's tabernacle is with the people. The presence of God has now arrived. And here He is walking the streets, healing people, proclaiming the message of God. 
God has returned in Jesus. I just can't imagine the idea of that picture of here is the tabernacle of God. The thing that we have been waiting for that has been broken because of sin. The glory of the Lord has returned. And this is what this passage is getting at. So often when you come into talking about the birth of Jesus and the arrival of Jesus, it's all about warm, fuzzy, feel-goods, yay baby Jesus. And that's not what the Bible's about. When it says there, they're going to call His name Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's what we've been waiting for. Is that God wants to live with His people. But there's a problem. Our sins. And God wants to do something about that. And rather than coming along and saying, let's have another tabernacle. Okay, get the animal skins and the linens and let's build this little tent. This time the glory of the Lord comes in an absolutely amazing way. And it comes as God coming down in flesh. Taking the form of a human. And going around and revealing the very glory of God. This is the picture of what is going on that God is trying to indicate to us. This is the whole point is that God wants to be with His people. In fact, I want us to consider when Jesus in some of His teachings gives us that very point. Like in John 15 verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. What does he say? I've come down to be with you. And you need to be with me. And if you live with me, you're going to bear fruit. Because if you don't live with me, you can do nothing. And those who do not live with me, he says, their branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Here is this picture of now in this grand finale, God is solving the problem. Jesus comes down in the form of flesh. God is now with us. And what we often want to do in the story then go, okay, you know, good, warm, happy ending right there, right? So, you know, the people of Israel, they made a mess. They were terrible, you know, they they got it all wrong. But thank you, Lord, for Jesus who comes, and He comes in the flesh, and we're all good. That's not even close to the end of the story. Let's back up to where we were in Exodus for a minute. In the book of Exodus, we're here at chapter 25. Moses is up on the mountain. He's in the cloud of the glory of God. The people are down there at the foot of the mountain. And as they look up, it appears to be a consuming, devouring fire that's going on up there. It says that Moses is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. And what God is doing is giving all the legislation and descriptions about, here's the tabernacle that I want you to build. I want you to build this so that I can be with you. And I just want you to visualize this idea for a minute. Here is God giving all the details of build this structure to the detail that I've given it to you. So that I can live in your midst, that I can dwell with you and be with you. And in the meantime, what are the people doing down at the base of the mountain? 
You come to chapter 32 after all the rules of the tabernacle are given. And the people are worshiping idols. They say, we don't know what happened to this Moses. We need a God that we can see. Naren fashions a golden calf. These are the gods who brought us out of Egypt. And they begin to have a party. Fulfilling their fleshly desires, doing whatever they want, doing what they think is best. While at the same time, God is on the mountain telling Moses, here's all the things you can build so that I can be with the people. And the people are going, we're going to do whatever we want to do and follow our own desires. We don't care about Moses. We don't care about God. Fast forward back now to the first century. The glory of the Lord has come down in the person of Jesus. And Jesus is going through the streets of Jerusalem. He's going through Galilee. He's going to all these places. And He's proclaiming forgiveness of sins. He's proclaiming that He is the Good Shepherd. He has come to save them. He is God with us. And God has now come down to be with them. And what is the response of the people when Jesus comes? The same answer that was in Exodus. Rebellion. We will do what we want to do. Jesus, don't tell us how to live our lives. We don't want to hear that. Don't tell us to change. Who are you to tell us what to do? We're going to crucify you instead. Here's God coming down and saying, I want to live with you. And here's the people going, we don't want anything to do with you. That's the thread of the Scriptures. It's not a warm, fuzzy story of, oh, yay, God, happy baby Jesus. It's a story of God over and over again showing, I want to live with you. I want to be with you. I want to be in your life. I want to have you in my presence. I want to do everything I can to remove every obstacle to dwell with you. And the response of people from Genesis and Exodus and Matthew and now is... We do not care. We have no interest. Isn't it stunning that God keeps trying to do that? At what point would you say, you know, forget those people. Every time I try to dwell among them, they kick me out and go on sinning. At what point over thousands of years of history would you say, you know, I think I'm just kind of done with all that. We should be in awe of the fact of how much God wants to be with us. And what's stunning is we're so rebellious and so sinful And God keeps trying. It's stunning. You come into the New Testament, how are the people of Israel doing? Are they, you know, righteous and holy people and loving the Lord their God with all of their heart? And God finally goes, all right, the time is right. The people have got great hearts. This will be a great time to send Jesus. Not at all. 
And after they crucify him, and Jesus raises from the dead, what does he do? He tells his apostles, go out there and save them. Because I want to live with them. And I want to be in their midst. I want to be their God, and I want them to be my people. The whole scheme of the scriptures and the whole purpose of history is that God wants to be with us. That God wants us to be with Him. And He's done everything to make it possible so that we could be in His midst. So that we could dwell with Him. The story's not over. You come into 2 Corinthians from the Apostle Paul. And you read about what the Apostle Paul writes. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Notice we come into the New Testament. Here's the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says, you know what? God still wants to be with you. God still wants to be in your midst. God still wants to have a relationship with you. And rather than needing a physical tabernacle, because we have Jesus, we can meet God through Jesus who came to this earth for us so that God says, I can now dwell with you. I want to be with you. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. But notice what that means. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. And then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I still want to be with you, but here's the deal. I need you to leave the sins of the world. I need you to leave that unholy life. Leave it. Get rid of it. Because I want to be with you. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. God's call is for you to come as you are, but that you can't stay as you are. So often what we want to do with God is we come to Him in all of our sins and we hear the gospel message that God wants to be with His people. He wants to dwell with us. He's given us Jesus as a sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. And then our response often is, now I will go back and keep doing the very things I was doing before. Let's get back to living my life, doing my things, following my desires, doing my own path. I'll do what I want. And friends, that's the whole problem that's revealed throughout all the Scriptures. Is God saying to Moses on the mountain, I want to be with them, and the the people are down there going, we're going to do what we want to do. And if you remember what Moses does, the covenant's broken. 
Those two tablets are shattered. And that's not Moses in a fit of rage. That's a picture of what just happened. Before the ink is dried, to use our language, people had already broken the covenant. And then God sends Jesus and says, All right, here is God with you. I'm in your midst. And what will you do with him? Well, we'll kill him. That's what we'll do. Because we don't want people telling us what to do. Who is God to tell us what to do? Well, he made you. He made you. He loves you. He died for you. He's trying to do everything he can to impress upon you how much he desires to have a relationship with you. But you cannot go back to the old way of life, doing what we want to do, fulfilling our desires and what we think is best. We have to live for him. Everything that God has ever done When you start reading your scriptures and you begin in Genesis and you just move your way through the book, everything that God has ever done is to show the world how much He wants to have a relationship with us. To do everything possible to communicate to the world, I want to be with you. Jesus comes, He dies so that we can be in relationship with Him for all eternity. That's why all of this happened was because He desperately wants to be with us. This is why we love Romans chapter 5. When we were sinners, when we were enemies, when we were helpless, when we were still in rebellion against God. God said, I'll send my son. And knowing full well that the response of the people to God with us and the glory of the Lord filling that tabernacle in the body of Jesus was going to be a response of death. Crucify Him. God did it anyway. And not only does He do it anyway, the staggering wisdom of God, He uses that to be the means by which He'll save the world. (laughs) He'll use our rebellion as a means by which to save the world through the death of Christ, people will now be saved. And ultimately then what we are left with is a decision. We have a decision that we can be just like everybody else who has ever heard the message of God saying, I want to be with you. And say, you know what? I'd just rather do whatever I want to do. I want to live how I want to live. I'm going to do what's best in my own eyes. And it's just utter rebellion before a God who has made us, who gave a son for us, and has made every sacrifice so that we could be with him. And we turn around and tell God, I don't want to be with you. Leave me alone. I'm perfectly happy down here screwing up my own life. Leave me alone. And God's going, I'm trying to rescue you. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to live with you. I want to have a relationship with you. 
There is no other God who says, as sinful as you are and as terrible as you are, you know how much I want to be with you? I'll sacrifice my own son to be with you. That's one option. The other option is to choose to turn and love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our might. Because we see the love that God has shown toward us. That all that God has ever done is say, I will do everything to be with you. And all you need to do is just love me back. Turn away from sin. Stop living for self. Stop doing what you want to do. And live for the Lord your God who's come to rescue you. We know John 3.16 so well. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish and have everlasting life. But don't stop there. Verse 18, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. What we forget is we are in a state of condemnation for our sins. That's where we stand before God. And if God does not intervene, we're doomed. God sends His Son, intervenes, says, here's the rescue you need so that you can be with me. Now what will you do with the hope that God has given? God wants you to be with Him. God wants to live with you. God wants to have a relationship with you for all eternity. And I hope if nothing else, you will just be blown away by that idea. What kind of God we serve. Creator of heaven and earth. Ruler over all things. And yet in all of that might and power and strength says to every individual in this room and every individual on the planet, but I want you to live with me. And I want to be with you. And I want to be with you forever. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus died. And that's why Jesus rose so that you can be with Him. Will you turn away from your sins today and follow Him with all your heart? And if you're ready to be a follower of His, I hope you'll talk to us about how we can help you in that. You can talk to me afterward, talk to somebody next to you. There's a way that we can help you learn more about God's will for your life and what God's trying to accomplish for you. But this is the big picture. That we turn away from sin turn away from following self to come out from the uncleanness and serve the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ all the days of your life. If you have not been immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins it's a starting point right there to have your sins washed away and to be a child of His. Won't you come and do that now? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?